Hello, everyone. I'm Joe DeRosier, staff writer here at the Chicago Dental Society, and we're going to be launching our first ever podcast, and it's called Filling You In. And every month, we'll be exploring the issues and topics that are important to our CDS members. Our first discussion is an interview with one of the world's leading business thinkers, author, professor, and consultant, David Berkus. We'll be getting his thoughts on the challenges our members are having in hiring and retaining quality employees, including associates and staff. In a recent blog, Dr. Berkus outlined the top six reasons why good employees quit. Those being burnout, boredom, bad managers, better pay, bigger opportunities, and blah purpose. So let's hear what Dr. Berkus thinks about which of these issues are keeping you from attracting or keeping good employees in the dental office and what you can do about it. Welcome, Dr. Berkus. You know, many are saying they're having trouble finding good employees. It, it amazes me how little medical, dental, or chiropractic, how little attention is paid to. Let's talk about running the actual business once you get out of here. I, I'd say most of our members, not exclusively, but most of our members are small business people. They run maybe one or two offices and they know their way around a tooth, but not on how to run a business. Yeah. Um, and just like everything else, you know, you say just hang your shingle out and you'd get people come in to get <laughs> dental work or hiring wasn't all that difficult. It was a great job, you know, being a dental assistant or dental hygienist, or if you get out of dental school, you became an associate and maybe took over the practice down the road or built up some experience and then opened up your own practice. But I think just like every other business, they're finding that has kind of been thrown out the window in the last couple of years, and especially with COVID, because they are having as many problems as, say, a retail business does of trying to find people. So with that in mind, what are some of the things that dentists can do, the smaller offices, what can they do to make it more desirable uh, and both keeping people and then attracting people? So you read the you read the Why Good Employees Quit article. Yep. So other than my own dentist, who is actually a fascinating tale of somebody who's managed to create an engaging workplace and get and attract hygienists for less pay than they could be making working at other places. I'm looking at like that list of six and I'm thinking surely in this profession, there's got to be two or three of those that actually that that are, are bigger quit triggers than than other ones, if that makes sense. My thought would be that the two or, or three big ones, right, the, of, the, of a list of six that most affect in any retail environment, and especially dental, I mean, the, the biggest to me would probably be boredom, even more than burnout, right? Like with the exception of maybe an associate dentist who's going to get to mentoring and either see down the road taking over the practice or, or starting their own, there's not really an upward trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, for a hygienist, that's your job. Like you signed up, for, you know, you, you, you did your, your training course on it, got your certification. And other than learning some new techniques as the field progresses, there's not much different about your job over the next, however long it's going to be. So it can get really easy to end up with, with boredom, 
that's why boredom doesn't really occur to them when they're going down the path, right? <laughs> right? Because I don't, I don't know that they see it as a 40 year career anyway, right? So I think it's really easy for the boredom one to set in in that regard. Mm-hmm. Cert- certainly burnout becomes a, a, a death spiral, right? So you're trying to do the same amount of work with less people because you're having trouble hiring people, which means the people that you have are more likely to be burnt out as well, right? And there's not really, I mean, there's not a lot you can do in that regard of doing more with less other, other than trying to pay attention to other mental health things or do, do make sure that you're helping people prioritize rest or creating opportunities or even just teaching them resilience opportunities and those sort of things to attack burnout. And then, and then the other, if I'm being totally honest, the other big contributing factor would be that, that sixth one that I called blah purpose. But like, you, you know what I mean? Is it's, 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 it sounds mean. It's really easy for the dentist who went to school, had a, had a feeling of calling to it, et cetera, and opened up his or her practice to assume that that rubs off on everybody. But like, you know, a dental office is not a, it's not like they're digging water wells in, in Africa, right? Or saving the environment by reducing plastics, right? Or even the same level of felt purpose and significance as a, as a cancer treatment center or something else in the medical field, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really, really easy again, in that environment to, to not pay attention to the fact that purpose is part of your job as the, as the owner of the clinic, talking about the significant difference that we make in people's lives, et cetera, right? So for example, I go to a, I go to a dentist who the thing that really attracted me to him is if you talk to him, he's, he's on this like mission to reinvent the, the world of dentistry and, and make it so that all those stereotypes of pain, it being painful and it being right. nerve inducing and all that. So it's really a, you know, a priority, prioritizing the patient experience type practice. And, and that obviously doesn't appeal to everybody, but he's managed to, to assemble a staff of people for whom that really appeals to. We're doing things differently. We're doing things really patient, patient-centric. And because we're patient-centric, it's easier for every person in that. And he's probably only has probably eight, maybe 10 employees, right? But it's still really easy for, for all 10 of them, or if it's 12, let's say for the dozen of them to see purpose in the sense, because they're so, they've made themselves customer focused and they've made it in such a way that everybody's interacting with said customer, said patient. And so you're seeing the impact on the patient, right? But I've been to a lot of dental practices in my four decades that have not done that, that it's just, it's about your teeth, not, not you. It's about... It's about getting them cleaned and billing your insurance or getting them. And it's not, and, and again, I don't, I don't know that any, I don't know anybody that stays in dentistry without feeling that purpose. It's just a lot of times you don't know how to speak that to other people. You don't know how to show that. You don't know how to tell the story yeah. of, of the life-changing procedures that we just did on this person who finally has a smile they feel confident in, right? Or, or the way that we found you know, an, an infection that had been plaguing somebody for a while and now we've alleviated all of their pain. Like making sure you're going back and telling those stories has a, has a big impact on retention for sure. But then people talk, people transfer around. Your, your, you know, your current employees are also your big advocate for attracting talent. And if they feel like the work that they're doing is significant and they know the people that they're talking to on a, you know, they see the patients they're talking to on a regular basis and see the impact they're making, 
they talk to their, their friends. They talk to the people they went to, you know, the hygienist program with, or talk to other people they know that are office managers or receptionists, since they become your talent magnets, right? So it's in some ways, I think that's probably the easiest one for people to do that mm -hmm. they're not doing right now. Well, and that kind of relates a little bit to the problem of finding associate dentists. As, as I said before, it was just a matter of, okay, you graduated, you found a practice that, you know, in the location that you wanted and you joined it. Well, right. there, there's kind of a change going on. I don't know if you're aware of it, but private equities have found the dental field and are- It are, comes for every medical, yeah. But the, uh, you know, so what's happening is that these dentists, first of all, they're racking up huge amounts of debt in dental school. They're getting, mm -hmm. coming out with $400,000, $500,000 in debt. And then so, Dental Depot tells them that if you come work for us for a couple of years, we'll pay it all off, right? You got it. And they're, what they're really doing is hitting, hitting the third year dental students. And they're grabbing them then. So yeah. the smaller guys, our members, they don't get to do that sales pitch of, <laughs> yeah, but you'll be making a difference. And, you know, we care about our people. So what kind of advice do you have to kind of counteract that? Yeah. So, and, and I mean, the same thing happens in all fields. This was a, this was the 20 year attack in pharmacy, right? Where mm -hmm. 20 years ago, CVS and Walgreens started coming into pharmacy schools and talking about their debt repayment programs and building relationships. And as a result, you know, and, and how much will start you as a salary. And, and as a result, there's basically very few independent pharmacies anymore. Right. right. Or optometrists um, in the same Way. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it comes, it comes for all. You know, I, I just, be, just because you don't have the, the private equity backing and the, the money to sponsor certain lunches for the students and that sort of stuff, the way some of these, you know, again, I don't know how it works in dentistry, but I've seen it in other industries and that's kind of how it starts, right? That doesn't mean you can't be involved with those local schools. That doesn't mean you can't be, you know, Try, trying to be a, at least a, not a volunteer fixture, but you know, somebody who is, who is providing counsel, somebody who is speaking in the, you know, the, the evening or after, after classes, events involved in it, like you can still get involved in those. I don't, I don't know if dentistry has the same level of, my wife's in medicine and the level of shadowing programs and that sort of stuff that's in mm -hmm. medicine is pretty rigorous, right? Yeah, we have, we have a mentor program through, through the society. So this is my pitch for, for being more involved in the society and hence being involved in the medical program, right? All that does is get you FaceTime, right? And it's what you do with that FaceTime that matters. What, I, what I'll tell you is you don't have the ability to buy that FaceTime. You're going to have to do something like the mentoring program, do something that gets you kind of in front of those students again. But you have the opportunity to be seen as a much more authentic witness to them. Right. So my wife being same thing happened in medicine, lots of different larger organizations, court medical students in their third and fourth years. And we get invited to the fancy dinners and we see the pitch. And, and you know, I always it, it's funny because almost always there's the pitch about debt repayment and the 401k program. And they're speaking from a financial sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. The one we ended up joining was the one that said after a year, you're an owner and you have as equal vote as every other doctor. And you, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is, that's a different pitch, right? right. So you have, the, you have that opportunity to state that difference. Now, uh, to, be, to be candid with you, the vast majority of the dentists that are gonna read this article are not going to do that, right? They're just going to continue to complain because they haven't had those deep thoughts about their purpose in a really long time. 
Right. Right. And so that whole idea makes them uncomfortable and it's, and it's easier to, to say, well, I can't get it in. I can't even talk to these students. No, you can, but do you have anything to say that differentiates you from the money? People, I mean, especially we see it with, with Gen Z research and the late millennials, people are willing to forego sometimes tens of thousands of dollars in compensation to work for an organization that helps them feel like the work that they do matters. Mm -hmm. The difference is, does your practice currently represent that or not? Or did you hang a shingle out the door 30 years ago and you've never looked back? Right. It was easy to so, talk, the talk, but not walk the walk. Is it exactly. So, so, you know, getting the opportunity to speak to those students is a, is a good excuse. The truth is, I suspect the vast majority of them don't have a differentiator to speak to when they're there anyway. So I think you nail the differentiator first and then, and then you find it. Right. And also like, you know, people, People talk even across classes, right? So your people that are out and interact with you, maybe maybe now at, at CDS, multiple meetings down, you know, e even if you're not, they still they still talk amongst each other. You still there's there's in any school there's like medical school is the one I'm I'm thinking of. There's interaction between first years and fourth years all the time, and then the fourth years go out and are in practice for two or three years before you are. That's who you go talk to when you have questions about stuff because they're the ones that are giving you the honest answers. So again, have you built a reputation for doing something more than cavities and root canals for, for offering somebody a chance to be a part of something? That, that'll have, I think, a dramatic effect, not only on retention, but on, on whether or not it attracts people to you, right? Yeah. It is, it is I, in my opinion, the most underrated perk. People think about perks of the job like tuition reimbursement or 401k or the fact that we have beer on tap or a foosball table in the break room. And yet the opportunity to go somewhere and do work that you can see matters is what more and more people are craving. And the problem is more and more organizations don't know how to speak that. And, and the truth is they don't know how to speak that because I think what they don't get is that purpose is a who. Purpose is literally who benefits from the work you do. So when you get that opportunity to talk to those potential recruits, mm -hmm tell them stories about patients whose lives your practice has changed, right? Don't tell them about your, your compensation and your, if they're interested in you, they'll ask those questions eventually, right? But tell them those stories first, because that'll make a huge difference compared to whether or not you're going to go work at Dental Depot. They don't yeah. teach them in, in dental school how to run a business and well, and even beyond the, I mean, this is even beyond the how to run a business, you know, everything that we've talked about are, are, are core leadership skills, not managerial skills, right? Mm -hmm. They're less about the profit and loss statement and, and, and more about how well can you speak to providing people the chance to be heard, you know, right. and, and do work that matters, et cetera. So that makes these skills, you know, even above and beyond those. All right. Is, is there anything when they are presenting to mentorships or talking to students, is there anything that they should really be focusing on for today's employee that maybe they didn't think about before or wouldn't have to think about before? I mean, they're not going to put in a beer tap at the... Uh... Right. And I don't, I, you know, I don't, given the fact that it's a medical facility, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we talked about the importance of purpose and the work that you're doing that makes a contribution, but you did, you did harp on one thing that I want to go back to, which is, you know, oh, they can't have, the, it's a retail facility. They can't have the opportunity to work remotely. You know, the truth is most people don't want to work remotely, right? Hmm. When, when you, when you look at the surveys, they say they want to work remotely. When you do the qualitative interviews, what you realize is that post pandemic, what most people want is flexibility and autonomy. 
what they want is not to be chained to sort of a rigid schedule, right? And so thinking about the ways that you may be able to provide that, that's a different benefit than working remotely, right? You know, the, the idea that we cover for each other and we have a bit of a flexible system where if you want to take off and get to your kid's dance recital or, you know, if you need to get one of your kids to a soccer practice ahead of time or, or even just there's no one to get them off the school bus and so you need to be done it at, at 3.30, like we'll work around that. That's the what most people want is flexibility. So that would be the other sort of perk that I would be talking about is, okay. that, is that flexibility piece because that's what most, like, that's what most people want with the majority of, I mean, I'm working mostly with larger organizations and all of that right now. And all of them are talking about, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a new flexible work policy. You can be, you can work from home on Friday, Thursdays and Fridays. Like, well, that's not very flexible. All you did was dictate what days they work remotely. Like, <laughs> like that's like saying that our new, our new flexible work policy is that we want you to be flexible about the new constraints we've just given. <laughs> right. So so if you can speak to that element, right? That, and, 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 and to be fair, this is something that happens in small businesses much more often than large ones anyway. You know, the idea that we're a team and so we cover for each other when we you know we have life events happening and, and that sort of stuff. And it won't, it won't negatively affect your, your earned PTO or something like, you know, that kind of thing. Those, right. can, be, those can be huge perks that, that people want, right? Is that sense of flexibility, especially in an age where almost every, if you're talking about younger folks coming out of dentistry school and that sort of thing, or out of hygienist school, the, the majority of households now are dual income households, which means they're struggling to figure out how to make it work once they also have children and that sort of stuff. And flexibility is the key to that, not, oh yeah, we're closed every Friday afternoon so you can work from home. Like again, that's not flexibility, right? Okay. So I would emphasize that. It's not, you may not be able to provide remote, but what you can provide is flexibility. And by the way, that's what most people wanted. So put on your future glasses. Is the pandemic just a, a bump? Or has it changed the way hiring and work expectations are going to be like in the, in the future? So I always feel like I have bad news for people when I say this. What the pandemic was, was an accelerant. We took a probably a five to 10 year leap in terms of employment practices, workplace flexibility, giving people a sense of autonomy, the need to speak to more than just monetary compensation. All of those things took a massive leap forward. We were on that trend line anyway, right? Mm -hmm. However, if you look at all of those trends, those trends are usually two steps forward, one step back, right? So we start doing it and we ran it back in and we make some more progress. And then when something happens, we ran it back in. So, so I'm, I'm long-term, I'm confident that this will be seen as a point that changed a lot of people's social contract with their employer. They, they now want, like I said earlier, they want more flexibility. They want to know the work they're doing, you know, matters a bit more. Certainly in the short term, the pandemic and the labor shortage is going to create some pain points and, and, a, and a big leap forward around compensation. Presumably in, inflation levels off or gets under control, shortages are under control, et cetera. Do we take those, that one step back or, or does this stay? I don't really know. So I think in the long term, we'll look back at this as a, as a time that, that triggered a deeper conversation about what people want in terms of their employer-employee relationship. But I also think that the vast majority of employers are going to attempt to snap right back to the way things were in, in January and February, 2020. Whether or not that works out for them all that well, yeah. I don't think it will, but- Is that because so just human nature to go back to what's comfortable or- what Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, you know, and, and we're already seeing it down, you know, Oklahoma, Northern Texas, Arkansas, 
to some extent, Arizona, the whole Sun Belt has had a much different mentality around the pandemic than other parts of the country. And so, you know, I, I know folks that work in, in larger, organ, larger organizations, which are usually the most risk averse, that are already back five days a week, right? <laughs> that are already, you know, back to, with, with a little more understanding about when you want to cut out early to, on, on a random afternoon to do something family related or something like that. But other than that, they're, they're back to normal, right? So I see the vast majority of them moving that way. So, All right. Well, I right. appreciate you taking the time. No, my pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much for reaching out. Have a good day. All right, you too. All right. All right, thanks so much. Bye. Well, that does it for us. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be posting a new podcast every month with some special editions featuring our upcoming midwinter meeting. If you have topics that you'd like to be covered or some people you'd like us to uh, interview, please drop us an email at j-d-e-r-o-s-i-e-r at cds.org. In the meantime, we'll keep filling you in. Thanks.